Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the podcast, I am joined by my buddies, Sammy Reed and not Nate Noling, but Peter Christensen. You guys probably know him a little bit better as Draft Cheat. Uh, Draft Cheat and uh, Sammy, they are both really big seasonal fantasy baseball players. That so, You know, they play a lot of MLB DFS as well, uh, but both of them take... Uh, season-long fantasy baseball really seriously, and uh, me, Sammy, and Nate are going to be playing in the NFBC main event, and um, as a result, you know, just begin getting really into fantasy baseball. I think that, uh, you know, you guys really enjoyed the episode where we had Vlad Sedler on, uh, Roto Gut, and this is just kind of a continuation of that conversation, getting you prepared to uh, win your fantasy baseball league this year. So we are sponsored by uh, we are sponsored by DailyRoto.com. You can get 10% off of the best projections and tools in the industry using the promo code Janus. You can go to Patreon.com slash TakeCast to get bonus episodes of this show. And, uh, you know, also just to support what we have going on here. Or if you don't want to spend any money, you can just go to iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts right now. Leave a five-star rating and review if you do it. I will love you forever. And now let's go ahead and get into the show. All right, everyone. I hate to do this to you because if my favorite podcast did this to me, I would be so tilted. If I, if I went to go refresh the Bill Simmons report and two weeks in a row it was a fantasy baseball podcast, I'd be honest, I'd be pretty mad. But uh, I'm, I'm convinced of, of one thing, which is that everyone who listens to this podcast, they love to gamble, guys. They love to gamble, and and what better way to gamble than to spend multiple thousands of dollars trying to win the main event of the National Fantasy Baseball Championship? I I, I got this idea, I'm chasing it, but I, I'm a sick fish, so I brought in my two friends who are, I mean, they are sick fish, but in in different ways, not not as related to baseball. So with me today, I have uh, the worst person on Twitter, Peter Christensen, draft cheat joining the podcast, and uh, someone with bad tweets, but actually a good person, Sammy Reed FI. You might know him as at I'm EV positive. Uh, and we are, we are here to uh, – we're, we're going to go from – we're going to build from the ground up a strategy to win your fantasy baseball league in 2020. Peter, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks. It's been, uh, I don't know, what, a year before we had an hour-long conversation on Saquon Barkley, which, given the 2019 results, I have to say you came out on top on that one, so hopefully just I'll holding dubs, Just holding dubs on this podcast, nothing new. Yeah, a lot of, lot of L's new. 
<laughs> I mean, my Twitter avatar right now is literally Damian Williams. If that, if anyone wants to guess how the uh, the 2019 season went, Sammy. Uh, I mean, you've been on the show like 19 times. Last last time you were on the show, the Poker Cast surprisingly well received. Yeah, that was exciting. Uh, we'll do a reboot of that. I'm I'm also excited to do the second half of your fantasy baseball pods. You had Vlad on the last one. Vlad's like super sharp and just like smashes. And this is going to be a whole different kind of show. It's We're going to be gonna very be firing different. Off, yeah, firing off hot takes and uh, Vlad like has measured strategies. Forget all that. Like, we're just going hot here. I don't think anybody has, is more measured than Vlad. I'll say that. Vlad, Vlad, very measured man. A, a great a great way to explain Vlad. And, I mean, that's why I wanted to talk to Vlad selfishly because, you know, I've decided, like, I'm going to try and take fantasy baseball seriously this year. Obviously, you know, August waiver wire oh, bids. Sammy, yeah. that's, on, that's on you, bud. Bro, check back in mid-May and Davis <laughs> is completely out on fantasy baseball. <laughs> No chance in hell you're making it to August on the waiver wire bids. Absolutely no. not. <laughs> no, so that's I'm, why that's why I am teaming up with Sammy and Nate yeah. so that there are other people who are responsible for the outcome. Here's like the thing, April, though. Like when April 5th rolls around, you're good. You're covered. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, like, maybe there like, are there prospects who are going to steal a lot of bases because that's pretty much what I specialize in oh as it God. relates to fantasy baseball. So, like, if we get that, I'm all good. To, I'm all good to set those waivers, Sammy. I am definitely lighting money on fire by teaming up with you in the main event. Like that is just, we are, we, here's the thing. This is my mandate. We are going to win the steals category in our individual league. I feel, I feel strongly about this. <laughs> Bro, my, my wife's going to be so pissed at me. Like, where'd that $500 go? Well, I teamed up with Davis and uh, he wanted D Gordon super bad. So Sammy the other day about fantasy baseball. And then all of a sudden he drops it. He's sharing, a main event team with you, Davis, and I just I just left the conversation. That was it. <laughs> I mean, what can you do? What can you do? Uh, uh, I I will say I will say this. I actually been playing fantasy baseball for a really long time, but when I discovered the immediate gratification of daily, like the immediate gratification of daily fantasy sports, it it could not stand in any more stark contrast to season-long fantasy baseball, the two activities, they're, they're at polar opposites of the gratification stream, basically. But this we're, is a very millennial take. Very millennial take. I mean, it's a, just a true take. It's just a, it's just a, uh, it's a fact. So I'm, I'm an idiot fish, but I, I would prefer to win hundreds of thousands of dollars playing fantasy baseball. So, Peter, explain to me, as it pertains to the NFBC main event, explain the the theory of roster construction and what you view to be the right way on offense. We'll talk about pitching here in a little bit as well, but on offense, how do you approach the equation of balancing home runs versus steals, power versus average? You know, just kind of how do you keep those five hitting categories, um, you know, in that in the right balance for you personally? Yeah, so my, my general strategy, and, it, it, you know, every draft is different. It doesn't always go this way, but I love the balanced players, right? The players that can provide some production in all five categories. Uh, the Ozzy Albies, the Cattell Martes of the world that aren't going to hurt you anywhere, provide you some steals, um, and try to build, like, a, a balanced roster that way because, you know, the problem is if you put all your eggs in one steals basket, like a Trey Turner or a a Malik Smith and they go down, uh, you can be kind of screwed in those categories. And I just think the, the balanced players uh, are generally undervalued, right? There's no big number at steals or home runs or anything like that. So 
yeah, that's the, uh, that's the general approach I have. I think uh, a lot of the guys, you know, this year that provide only one category, maybe I'm not one category, but one standout category, a Pete Alonzo or a Malik Smith, those guys I think are overvalued. And, you know, if you get to that point in the draft where you're, you're deficient in one category and you have to start drafting players who don't provide the overall value uh, that you're looking for kind of throughout the draft. I'm surprised, I'm surprised Davis didn't mute you after you threw some Alex Smith slander out there. Hey, look, look, if, if, okay. So from the outside looking in the, the, the thing that you have to do is, I mean, obviously you have to weigh. So if I want Malik Smith, I, and obviously, you know, I really, I really had not thought about it the way that Pete said it, but if you structure your team in such a way that you take, eight power guys, the, your first 10 hitters or whatever. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to grab Malik's to handle some steals. Well, you're, you're, you're just mega wrecked if Malik's gets hurt or, or if Malik's just runs under expectation because people don't even talk about it that way. The way they talk about it is, well, Malik's is just going to hit his projection regardless of what happens. They just, they, they think about it in terms of the median. Okay. Malik's hits his projection. So you got to build your team around, like you got to take a bunch of, you know, high average hitters, but like high average hitters kind of suck. Right. I mean, that's, that's part of it, but, but it even goes beyond that for me. Like if you run, you know, if you make a projection for Malik Smith, you make a projection for the other outfielders being drafted around his ADP and then run that through evaluation system of the five hitting categories Malik Smith comes out like even at his you know median projection. Even, even with leading the league in steals, he's right. still not he's good. Just, he's just not a good pick, right? He doesn't provide the same value that other players around him provide. Uh, you know, if both players were to hit their median projection or whatever it is, so like, you just don't want him on your roster at his ADP. And if you don't take any steals early, you almost kind of have to take a, a value hit there. So I want to get the most value on every pick that I can while covering all five categories if I can. Where are you at with this, Sammy? Yeah, I'm actually on on the same uh, train as DC here because, you know, think of it like building a stock portfolio, right? You really want to like spread risk and spread variance around. You know, you get a bunch of guys, like you take that approach, like all power hitters and then one or two speed guys, even if they run under expectation or somebody gets hurt, you're just done, right? You're just done. You don't have any backups in those categories. And well, so- okay, so we should say you're not done because if you're building a portfolio, you're, you're taking a lot of guys' picks 200 through 300 who that your, your median expectation is those guys getting cut and never contributing for you. But there are going to be, and this is where you guys would have more practical knowledge than me, but I'm looking at like, there are going to be guys who are not drafted as starting players who have really good years, even in a sport as predictable as baseball that well, that yeah. is true yeah yep. so so that's true but i i would imagine that your odds of identifying even one of those guys is very limited because in baseball out of nowhere performances happen you know super infrequently compared to the sport we're all more familiar with fantasy football right true right. Or false, and, i guess and, and also think about it think about it like this like the draft is some people say oh i want to come out with a complete team in the draft that happens very rarely. Like you will even draft like a complete team, but guys will get hurt. Guys will run cold, et cetera, et cetera. To me, the point of the draft is really to get a bunch of valuable assets and kind of mold those assets as the season comes along. So what you're really trying to do is get things that are valuable and the things that drive value are supply and demand, right? 
And so you want to get scarce resources in the draft. What are the scarcest resources? Well, they are players who hit homers and steal. Like last year, there were nine players that went 20-20, and eight of the nine are can going you name in the them, can, you name, can you name them all off the top of your head? Uh, absolutely. Acuna, Yelich, Lindor, Story, J-Ram, Marte, Villar, Fam, and Danny Santana. And yeah. eight, eight of those. Damn. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was impressive, dude. That was, that was impressive. <laughs> I'm, I'm logging off now. I'm taking my W. I mean, but, so, it, but, but think about it like this. Like the other scarce resources are pitchers that throw 200 innings and strike out 200 guys and have like good ratios. Like there were seven guys that had uh, 200 innings, 200 strikeouts, a sub 120 whip. Um, I can't name them off the top of my head, but I can name most of them. It, but right. these are scarce resources. So this is how you want to start your team. You can find dudes who have low averages and high power in the eighth round, in the 12th round. These guys are... Yeah, we're, we dozen. will be taking him in the NFC main event. We'll be taking Joey Gallo. We'll be taking one Mr. Joseph Gallo, if I'm, I have anything to it. say about it. I'm into um, it. But like, think of these scarce resources. You want to get those because those are the hardest resources to pick up during the season. They're the hardest ones to to you know uh, obviously you can't trade in these leagues but when the season starts in regular leagues nobody's like well a lot of people guys. a lot you of gotta... people listening to this will just be playing in a regular fantasy baseball league so it's fine if we want to talk about trading a little bit though that will not be our focus so peter is the average strategy then in these leagues to take one of the power speed guys with your first round pick, then take a pitcher in the second round? Is this is this considered the uh, this is this is something that people used to talk about with fantasy football in like 1999, which is just you take three running backs and and that's the magic formula. You know, you just you just go power speed plus stud pitcher. That's that's the magic formula. That's how you start your draft. Yeah, I mean, I'm still I'm still living on the uh, the 1999 three running back. <laughs> You take Saquon, you take Fournette, you take Carryon Johnson, you log out, you win your league. Exactly. Uh, no, I think that's yeah, that's generally kind of what people do a lot in the main event. You'll hear people talk about uh, pushing pitching up. You know, like it goes higher and higher. Everyone thinks they need to get a stud pitcher. I somewhat disagree with that, but it partly depends on where you think your strengths are. I think my biggest strength is finding breakout pitchers, finding breakout pitchers on the waiver wire throughout the season, like Lucas Giolito last year, for instance was able to identify him early and uh, he was like, just a massive, massive help. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the general consensus. If you, if you fall behind on speed, that's the hardest thing to make up. I think you can make up almost anything throughout the draft except for speed, just because like the vast majority of baseball players, like barely steal any bases, right? They're just such a limited resource. Like Sammy talked about. Do you, so this is something I've been listening to some fantasy baseball podcasts, obviously not a ton, but do you think that this is a problem that is going like, I guess it's not a problem for baseball teams. It's a problem for fantasy baseball. Do you think that this is going to continue where teams are going to continue to steal less? And it's like the only teams that heavily steal bases are going to be the ones with the super boomer managers, like the 76 year old, like, uh, like, uh, Mike, I guess Mike Matheny is going to be, he's going to be coaching my Kansas city Royals. The, they're going to steal old. bases. <laughs> he's a, he, he Matheny's a, he boomer, has a boomer mindset, right? Yeah, yeah right. Um, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I think that could be true. Although I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a slight uptick in the total amount of steals this year. We just saw the, you know, the super juiced baseball Juice last ball. year, which uh, yeah. reduced the, you know, like teams like the twins who had a lot of guys, a lot of, you know, fairly young speed, 
just kind of like refuse to steal bases because they're hitting so many home runs. It makes no sense to make potential outs on the base pass. So if the ball goes back to, you know, the, the 2017, 2018 version, uh, we could see a slight uptick in steals. Here. What, what's, we, should, we should actually talk about the ball a little bit. What is – how are you projecting the ball? I talked about this, I talked about this with Cardi the other day in, uh, in the DMs, and he said he's, he is kind of trying to middle it a little bit, but just that the sample size is really hard. And I and actually talked about this with Sammy and Nate too, is we, we kind of want to treat it that way as well. Um, but I, I think the range of outcomes with the ball is really wide. It could go back to, you know, playoffs baseball last year, right. or, or they could just run it back. They could just totally run back the ball that produced all those home runs last year. I think both, I, I would think those things are both maybe even equally likely. Dude, you know Manfred's in a, in the lab right now, just like man, this Astros scandal. We got we got to get more home runs. We got to take the heat off. Like, <laughs> yeah, we need we need up, someone. Baby. We need up. we need. I mean, how good would it be for baseball if someone broke the home run record? Like, like I mean, we like baseball purists can get mad about it or whatever, but w- there would be no mention of the Houston Astros ever again if Joey Gallo hit seventy six home runs. There, it what, just, what about be, what about if gone? What about if Jordan Alvarez did it? Yeah, he, not as good. Not as good. Not as good for uh, for the MLB. Far more likely to do it is Jordan Alvarez. I, the problem with your theory, Davis, uh, I don't really trust Manfred to make like the best decision for baseball here. Like, what's the what's the stupidest thing he could do with the baseball? Well, um, I I'm, I don't I don't have an opinion on which way it would go. I just think it is equally likely that the ball is the playoff ball that the ball is somewhere in the middle or that the ball is from last year like i i really i don't even have a strong opinion of what they would do i just think i have no i have no baseball juice baseball hot takes i don't i don't know what it's going to be i do think you know that was like the most juice baseball we've probably ever seen in mlb history so i think assuming that it'll be that or more i think is probably not the way to go i you know you got to regress it i think a little bit and then the question is, and I don't think necessarily people are addressing this the right way, is like which players will be affected the most if the baseball does return? Cause yeah, it'd be the dudes who went from hitting eight home runs to hitting 27 last year. Like, uh, like those are the dudes who are going to be dust. I agree, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, Danny well, Santana. Yeah, so what, what, I mean, what is your opinion on some of the players who might be affected most? Like, either way, just if we think, if we think that there is – um, you know, a, a range of outcomes with the ball. Who are some of the players you think would be most influenced by that range of outcomes? I think you're right to assume it's, you know, players who, the, who their power spike kind of came out of nowhere, but it's not quite that simple, right? I've seen a lot of people like um, like Jorge Soler, all of a sudden, what do you hit? 48 home runs led uh, the, the American League in home runs last year. Yeah, but he had like a he had like a seventy grade power tool as a prospect. Though. Right, but but you're saying, I mean, he did have like the biggest home run spike of any player in baseball last year from his previous high in home runs. Um, so, but he would not be on my list, right? I think he'll, he'll punish baseballs no matter what. Kind Regardless, of okay, yeah. So it's kind of the, the guys with like a weaker raw power grade. If you look at you know max exit velocity. Uh, if you're in the 20th percentile in that and you somehow hit 20 home runs last year, it's those types of players that I think. Victor Robles, <laughs> Danny Santana, Jeff McNeil. These McNeil's guys? a really good one for me, yep. Um, actually, that actually – was Robles the dude you made like the 14-page – no, it was Juan Soto that you did the, the yeah. huge tweet thread about. Isn't Victor Robles going to bat seventh for the Nationals and he's going like 80th overall? 
Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens because they lost uh, they lost Rendon, so we'll see what what goes on. But generally, they're doing Trey and and Adam Eaton at the top. So that that feels like these these feel like things that like even someone who's not good at fantasy baseball, such as myself, can like be like that's stupid. Why why would you do that? I mean, right? but he's still. I mean, the thing about Robles is, I think he went like seventeen and twenty eight last year, and he wasn't hitting toward the top, and he's not that great of a hitter, but. Dude, he's got some power and some speed, but if you like think he's not going to hit as many home runs, then his value decreases precipitously, big time. Yeah. Um, okay. So we got uh, we got DC's theory on on uh, on how to balance out hitting. What is the right way to start thinking about balancing out pitching in terms of ratios? What is replaceable? What is not? You know, how early to start drafting elite closers? You know, what is even if so? If we say Oh, these these closers are just going to hit their projections. You know what is kind of the right way to start thinking about an elite closer versus a shitty closer, and then even further start thinking about guys who are going to get traded. You know, guys who get eighteen uh, saves and then get traded. You know, kind of what's the right way to start balancing all these factors out as it relates to pitching. I think the thing with closers, number one is I never really worry that much about them getting traded. I mean, the reality is there's always rumors. You know, last year with like Alex Colomay. And they only get traded like half the time. Then even half the time of that, they mm-hmm. end up going somewhere else and not being the closer there. It's like the actual chances of them getting traded and going somewhere where they're not the closer has to be less than 25%. So I don't – Also, Sammy, if you're, if you're a drafted closer who you know is typically going to go on the lower end of closers if they're kind of a trade candidate, if they make it – if they keep their job all the way to, what, the end of July as the closer – you probably pretty much got value on that pick anyway already because there's such Shane, a Shane Green, baby. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that it's not a huge deal. I wouldn't worry too much about the trade thing. Yeah, I, I think one thing well, to keep if, in mind. If they get traded, they gotta be like fifty fifty to go to a team that's gonna give them way more save opportunities, right? That that's like the logic. Correct. Yeah. I mean if they're getting traded for, they've probably performed pretty well already throughout the throughout the season. Yeah. And you've kind of returned value on that pick anyway, so it's a small factor, but I wouldn't go overboard with it. Yeah. Okay. What about, I mean, I, I just think like, cause this, this does not exist in other sports, like having to think about sure. starting pitching versus hitters, right? Like that, that dynamic really doesn't exist as in, in fantasy basketball. It doesn't really exist in fantasy football. It just, it, it's kind of a foreign thing because they contribute to your overall score in diametrically opposed ways. So, what just, I mean, break, I guess break down kind of like the schools of thought for this, Sammy. So one thing I think if we're talking closers specifically that we really have to realize is that the closing role is changing, right? There's a lot more closers that are sharing jobs, that are doing matchups, et cetera. If you look at the number of closers that have saved 35 or more games the last five years, it's gone from 12 to 12 to 7 to 6 to 4. Last year, there were only four closers that had 35-plus saves. And so, again, when you're talking about scarce resources, to me, I've never been a closer early guy, and, and I still won't be, but I think it's more important now than ever to get a full-time ace closer because they're so much different than the rest of the relievers. Well, it, and it's, so I think there's another point, which is especially if you want to win – hundreds of thousands of dollars playing fantasy sports like in in your 12 team league with your buddies from high school you can punt batting average you can punt saves you and you can do that and still come out and win 
you know, nine categories or seven or, or whatever, right. you, you can't, you cannot do that in a format where you're competing against 50,000 other people. Yeah. Overall prize pools. Yeah. Like if, if I'm in a regular 12 teamer, I don't care if I'm first in steals by any stretch, but I have to make sure I get those in an overall contest. Right. Because yeah. Yeah, you got to place high if you're like, you're going for the gold. I mean, half the freaking prize pool is in the overall. So I think with closers, you really want to, I mean, I, I'm pretty simple when I look at them. I'm like, what's your strikeout rate and how close are you? Like, what's your what's your job competition? And so I, I almost never go with the top end of guys because I think they're overdrafted and overvalued. So you want to get in that middle tier. I know you talked about this a bit with Vlad, but I think of guys in the middle tier this year, Edwin Diaz, 39% strikeout rate, Ken Giles, 40% strikeout rate, Brandon Workman, 36% strikeout rate. And none of these guys have great dudes behind them unless you think Dellen Batansis and his .2 innings pitched last year are like a legitimate fear for Edwin Diaz. Those are the guys who I think are in that second tier of closing that can have big years that can strike out a hundred plus guys and, and save 30 games. And that's the tier I'm going for with closers. I, I like that call. And just to add a little more theory to it, as we, you know, as the closer role changes, like you mentioned, Sammy, what's interesting is the total number of saves in baseball is, is steady, right? Like it, it's not going to change. The, the problem is the, dis, the dispersal of the saves has changed to, to more and more players. And like, you know, if you look at like the Rays, I think are a good instance. There's several other teams like this. They're still going to get, you know, 45 or 50 saves, whatever it is. But the problem is you don't know who it's going to be even at any given time, right? Like their, their closers are going to kind of rotate in and out, but it, that can even happen on a weekly basis. So like you can look at a guy like Nick Anderson, maybe you have him projected for 17 saves, but are you going to know when to start him in your weekly lineup to acquire those saves? Maybe, maybe not. So I do think the, the guys that are kind of locked into roles, I know like maybe you don't want to spend up, but you know, the Chapmans, the Osunas of the world, like unless those guys blow up, I think Edwin Diaz, same thing. They're going to keep their role all year long. They're going to get you 30 plus saves. So I do think there's a premium placed on those guys. And then finally, I don't want to get too many of those guys, like two max. I like to go with one kind of semi to elite closer because of all this turnover, there will be closers that pop up on the waiver wire. If you're paying close attention, you can get those guys. Last year, I was able to get Liam Hendricks in every single league, like a week before Blake Trinan lost his job. He was a league winner. I was able to get Hector Neris in April. He was a league winner. Neris is great, bro. Yeah, so like if you're paying close enough attention, again, you don't want to wait until that the closer, you know, the new closer has actually ascended to the job if you can avoid it. You need to pay attention to which closers are faltering. Get Hector Neris for $3 out of your 1,000 fab a week before. I like to keep one spot on my seven-man bench where every single week I'm speculating on the possible next closer up. Yeah, you you, you throw one buck on uh, – right. like this is this – is, it's, zero, it's zero RB. You're, you're spending a dollar on Jay Ajay when Rap Sheet reports that he might be signing with the Arizona Cardinals. Exactly. Uh, and, and you do it before he even gets signed. And, and, that, and, and, yeah. and then when the next Sunday comes around, most likely the guy you picked up is still worthless – and you either kind of keep him based on what the current closer for that team, how they perform that week, or you grab whoever you think is the most likely guy on that Sunday. And if you do that every week, you'll, you'll hit on one eventually. Um, all right. So I think this is a, a hugely important question for a lot of people listening to this because 
I don't, I don't think there's a good answer, or, or at least I do not have the, the, the correct answer to give them, which is, you know, right now, what is the most effective way to leverage roster resource and, you know, fan graphs projections? Because, because unlike fantasy football, unlike fantasy basketball, and, and I guess it's because um, baseball projections have been around so long, but this stuff is not behind the paywall. You do not have to pay to get the most sophisticated baseball projections. They're just out there for anyone to see. So how do you how do you go about leveraging these publicly, you know, free available resources, Peter? So obviously, you know, these projections in the aggregate are are strong, and I think they're a good starting point for a lot of people. But the problem is, you know, I think I don't, I don't know exactly how the ins and outs work, but I think most of them at least take into account, you know, three year weighted averages. And that's a good thing to do for established players. But we have so much data on baseball players right now that you can identify changes in players that happen like one, one or two starts. If a player, you know, if a pitcher greatly changes his pitch mix, if he's got a new pitch and he's like when German Mar- like when German Marquez solved Coors Field. No, no, here's the thing. So obviously – there are examples like that where, like, you think a change gets made and then you get dunked on. All right, of course, but, you win every time. But there is the you are actually taking on a disproportionate amount of reward for when you're right about that and you beat the projection systems. Because if you if you if you miss on a guy like that, who, well, and I don't think Marquez was that cheap last year. I, I think, but there are going to be examples of guys who are really cheap because you know a three year weighted average, whatever, says this guy sucks. This guy's just average, and you say, "Well, actually, he's got a decent chance to be good, great, based on you know his knee kick is higher or whatever." Right. And and but those you're you're actually not taking on that much risk, and you get way more reward um, when you disagree with the projections, especially the you know the cheaper they get. Yeah, like like a player like like you, Darvish. I'm super super high on last year or this year coming in. He's climbing right now in ADP for sure. But like if you look at, you know, he got basically got shelled by the Astros in that, uh, in, in 2017, then he was you know, hurt all 2018 and it took him like to the middle of last year to like get his confidence back. If you look at like his strikeout minus walk percentage from April to September, it basically climbed like, <laughs> like five or 6% every single month, ending up with a 42% in September. And then you like throw that in with like a release point change where his arm slot is getting higher and higher every year. Um, and like, I think you can easily contend or win the NL Cy Young. You can get him around pick 50 or 60 and you just see the changes. So I don't, I don't give one shit what you Darvish did in 2018. Like it just doesn't, has no, no bearing whatsoever on my projection for him for 2020. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I, I mean, I think that is, so like, that's a really important thing is if you just draft and this is, this is true in fantasy football, whatever, this is just true of fantasy sports. If all the choices you make are basically, you know, within 5% of the market, you'll, you'll never win or, or, or you'll just scrape out very minimal lot like, like gains and you'll never, you'll never bink anything. So like, it's important um, if, if for no other reason than to create difference points with the markets to disagree with them and obviously you know it's it's better when you have reasons to disagree um go ahead yeah yeah certainly agree with that and i'll say just as like a general draft philosophy like in the you know in the first or second round 
like if we kind of plug these players their value into like you know an auction calculator like like Ronald Acuna you know out of a two hundred and sixty dollar budget he's going to go for like fifty dollars same with Yelich and Trout like in the first round you can't really um, they can't like exceed their projection by that much where like right like maybe if Acuna has like his kind of the best season he can he's going to be like a sixty or sixty five dollar player instead of a fifty dollar player. So you can't really gain that much value in the first round. You can lose it, right? A first rounder could give you zero dollars if they get hurt or something like that. Um, but as you move down the draft board, down the ADP board, once you get down to like, you know, pick uh, 180, 200, 250, these guys are projected to be, you know, like five, three, one dollar players. They can't hurt you at that point, right? Most of these yeah. players, or half of them at least, are going to end up off your roster early on in the season anyway. So at that point, you're trying to hit home runs, right? And if, if they're not the home run that you think they could be, yeah, you 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 don't want Brian Reynolds with, with like with pick 180, right? There's just there's just no point. You have to have some safe guys, but the further you get away from the the first few rounds, the further you go da- uh, down the draft board, the more you're trying to hit on a few of those players, right? Between like pick 200 and 300. If you, if you hit three of those uh, eight players, two of those eight players, you've done a very good job. You'll move on from the rest and find guys on the wire. Yeah. All right. Who are some of the guys that, uh, that you disagree with the market on Sammy? Uh, I guess number one would be Lucas Giolito. So draft sheet talked a little bit about how smash he was last year. Uh, he kind of reminds me a bit of Darvish in that Giolito a couple of years ago was just god-awful. Um, he was like the best pitching prospect in baseball. I, I, randomly happened to, I randomly happened to be in Chicago when he started against the White Sox and gave up four home runs in an inning and then, and then was, was yanked after, uh, after two outs. It was one of the funniest baseball games I've ever been to. Yeah, it, he had a lot of tough scenes like that, and I'm sure having you in attendance didn't help things out for him any. But – I mean, he's a dude who he changed his motion, right? He changed his arm slot. He changed his whole arm path and his velocity went up. And last year he had the fourth highest strikeout rate in baseball behind Cole Scherzer and Verlander. That's it. Those are the only guys that had higher strikeout rates in Giolito and the market likes him. They have him 14th, which is fine, but I think he's a top 10 pitcher. I just, I, I don't care about the projection for him. I tend not to care about it for starting pitchers in general. I think projections are more useful for hitters. Um, and, and he's a guy with you, Darvish, that I think can be really ace-like. So when you're talking about building a team, um, if you have these guys, like you don't have to take an ace in the first or second round if you think that Giolito's an ace, if you think that you Darvish is an ace and you can get him in the fourth, that can lead to some unique team constructions that other teams aren't going to have. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is reasonable. What about on the um, the hitting side of the market? Are there some guys that you just think you know that these guys are being way overvalued? The playing time is wrong. Like, like where where are we at with that? Uh, so a guy that kind of stands out to me, and this is a little off brand, but Gary Sanchez. You know, Sanchez was going in the fourth round, and you guys know who Casey Cha is, right? He just got elected to the NFBC uh, Hall of Fame. In like every one of his drafts, Casey was taking Gary Sanchez in the fourth round last year. And Sanchez had a pretty good year. He hit 34 homers in, you know, like 106 games. He has a 264 career ISO, which would be like top 20 all time if he had enough plate appearances to qualify. Right now he's going 88th. And so his price is actually dropping to the point where it's like, if you get him as your catcher one and he hits 35 homers, 
when other teams are getting like 25 from their two catchers combined. Right. Uh, I just think he's a smash value where he's going. So I, I'm big on him. I think the market is undervaluing Gary Sanchez. Do you, do you agree or disagree with that take DC? I'm kind of lukewarm on Sanchez. The the batting average is just so abysmal with him that I'm is pretty, bad. pretty adverse, adverse to taking those batting average guys. I think, you know, the power is great, but I, in my opinion, at least people kind of, um, underrate how how much a bad batting average can hurt you but i do agree with sammy that uh, the profit potential on on gary sanchez because well, because and also i mean batting average is something where projections can miss just due to like variance right it like can. i mean it can miss all over the place I, I like i think just like assuming that oh you can't project batting average is yeah that's probably stupid right because i mean you know you can miss on the high end or the low end and you would think over 15 hitter spots that you know you would they would kind of balance out and your overall projection for batting average would be pretty close but I, I do agree I mean Sanchez what's his like 90th percentile outcome it's like 50 home runs right maybe Judge or Stanton goes down he gets to DH a bunch he stays healthy all year the power uh for Sanchez is just totally unquestioned so the, the super high outcome for Sanchez is like a when you throw in the, the catcher scarcity bump you know he's could turn return first or second round value for sure down in what is he going at the, the seventh or eighth round at this point so yeah, yeah. 80, 80th pick and the other reality is you compare his average to other players it's not that great when you compare it to the catcher pool in general exactly. it's it's a lot better because catchers there's almost none besides real muto who hit for a decent average yep yeah well, I mean, I so I guess that is, you know, that is another good point that you get you you do have to compare guys relative to their position, not you know relative to everyone overall. So I uh, I want to actually I want to talk a little bit about Fab before we start talking about some round by round stuff because Fab is gonna just gonna work differently in a sport that takes place over such a long time frame. So first, you know, how aggressive are you gonna be with Fab early on? You know. Uh, because play, I mean, we we all have pretty good ideas about playing time right now. You know, again, it's it's not like playing time is going to be as much of a mystery as it would be in other sports where you're not literally told uh, in what order guys are going to play, and we and we also know exactly. You know, every team more or less is going to see similar amounts of plate appearances. Every team gets the same amount of outs. Um, so you know, th- those things are more static. But you know, just kind of what is the purpose of fab in the main event you know how how do you go about really trying to use your fab in the main event peter yeah so the the first thing my my very first um kind of run is uh, every week almost every week in the main event you're going to have players that you will cut from your roster right they blew their arm out they blew their knee out they're you know they got sent down to the minors they have to go so you've got a must must cut list and you're going to make a whole bunch of bids, you know, obviously on priority and dollars from highest to lowest to replace those players. From there, you can make like a, you know, a could cut list. Like I could see this player getting off my team if I can find someone better. And sometimes that can be like a one person bid, like maybe a catcher upgrade, something like that. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, ultimately fantasy baseball is kind of a weekly game. I'm trying to put out the best possible lineup I can for this upcoming week. And right. then beyond that, I'm looking two weeks ahead. I'm looking at, you know, a possible two-start pitcher on the wire for not this week, but the next week so I can get that player for a dollar or two. 
And any player that I know I am not starting this upcoming week is a possibility to get cut from my team for a player I could use two weeks from now. So that's the priority for me is to try to put out the best possible team every week. And then beyond that, sometimes you have a fully healthy team. You know, that's rare, but maybe early on you do. And then you can spend a, a pick or two on, you know, if you're speculating on potential closers, potential high upside minor league guys that, you know, you can carry for a couple weeks. All right. What about, what about you, Sammy? Yeah, I think a lot of it's dictated by your team coming out of the draft. So yeah. again, you want to, you know, you want to get scarce resources in the draft because there won't be that many available on fab. So you're okay if you're a little light on closing. Like Pete said, there will be saves that come into the league. You want to get like one for sure anchor, but you want to spend some got some some money and put that aside for closers. Um, and you don't want to be the guy who's spending a hundred or two hundred or three hundred bucks in fab for for a guy who's getting saves. Like that is just gonna drain your fab so quickly. So, like Pete said, I think you constantly want to keep your eye on guys who could potentially be getting the job in the future and hold them for one week or two weeks and churn and burn them. And then the other part is really, uh, I'm generally aggressive early because obviously if you get a player early that ends up returning value, he's on your roster for X number of months. And so getting them the earlier is going to return the most value. And also we know the less, uh, the least going into the season. First week of the year, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this guy's hitting second. We had no idea he was going to do that, right? So roles can change, et cetera. And I think that first couple weeks of the season is a time that I'm generally pretty aggressive. Those are, those are really good points. I mean, I'll throw in this too. Um, your league mates will give up. Uh, if you know, like that's, people, that's like, like Davis. Be, so there's gotta be people like me who get super hyped to draft and then three months in their oh. team sucks. They're in 10th place and it's, you, you can just scoop off all the good closers, right? Exactly. So it's, it's less common. I would say in the main event, most people that are ponying up $1,700 to play in a, you know, a, se- a six month baseball season. Like most of those guys will kind of try at least through the all-star break. But I'm doing a whole bunch of these online championships. The online championship, yeah. Like 125K up top, it's a $350 buy-in, 12-team league. If you can get off to a hot start in that where you kind of look like borderline uncatchable in first place through like April or May, like you'll typically see in July and August, like I don't know, like five or six of the 12 people even making any bids at all. Um, And if you can bury those people early by being aggressive on the wire – then you just get your freaking pick of the litter for like four months. Right. And that's how you can kind of try to propel yourself uh, to a championship. Like by spending early, if you crush all these people, people give up, then, you know, you don't need a ton of dollars left because you just get whoever you want for a low dollar bid. And, and here's a really, I want to piggyback on this point because I think it's so important whether you're playing the main event or you're playing in your home league, that you have to make a deal with yourself when you start the season. And the deal is that you're going to bust your ass the entire year all the way till the end. And I'm not just talking to you, Davis. I really really don't like the sound of this. (laughs) (laughs) No. So, so my story, so I started playing fantasy baseball in like, uh, with a group of my friends in like 2001. In like 1965? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The horse and carriage like brought the stats every I week. Of, is this Sammy's story time? I can go film up my cup of coffee here. Yes, did absolutely. You, did you, did, I mean, do people know that you're literally like the oldest guy who's ever been on this podcast? 
I, I don't know, but it, this is probably one of my last pods before I just retire and sail off into the sunset. So listen, listen to this old man's story. This is very important. I played with my group of friends in 2001, and I probably knew baseball better than any of them. And I didn't win a single championship. We had three leagues. I didn't win a single championship for like the first five years because I didn't give a shit. I was just like off smoking weed and partying and doing whatever. And I, I never even logged in. And they, they just roasted me. And so in 2007, I made a deal with myself that I was going to bust my ass and I was going to look at this damn team every day and I was going to see it through the entire season. And I started smashing. And that's the deal. Ever since then, I just said, nobody's going to outwork me. I'm going to literally grind this as hard as possible. Even if I'm wrong about things, I'm just going to grind and nobody's going to outwork me and win because of that. And I think if you're going to play dude, your home league or you're, especially you're going to play high stakes, make that deal with yourself and really commit to it. And if you do that, you'll be way ahead of most of the people who play. I'm imagining Sammy like waking up one morning in, in 2001 and he, he takes a long, hard look in the mirror. He has this come to Jesus moment. He's like, nobody well, I'll work me at fantasy no baseball. One, no one will days. outwork me at fantasy baseball. <laughs> I just light up a cigarette and I just stare at myself. I'm like, bro, bro, you got to lock it up. Got to lock it up, I guess. I guess yep. that's I guess that's where we, we're at with uh, with Sammy's life. Okay. Now we – I specific advice. People want to win their leagues. They, they, would like, they would like to be able to go into their leagues and, and come out with a, a reasonable team. So what is your, what, what is Peter like your perfect first three picks? First of all, where do you want to pick? And then kind of after three rounds, what's just like your dream scenario of what your team looks like? Yeah. So I want, if I can, one of the first three picks, Acuna, Yelich, Trout, I've got them well above the field in terms of the overall value that they will provide. I've got them ranked very, very closely in terms of, kind of their medium projection. I do think Ronald Acuna has the most upside of the three. Just talking about going 50 home runs, 50 steals. Seems unlikely, but is at least possible. I don't think Gellich or Trout, that's really within the range of outcomes for them. So if I can, I would get a, a, kind of one of the top three outfielders. Um, beyond them, uh, for me, it's close between DeGrom and Cole. If either one of them falls in the first round, I have no problem starting with an ace. And then at the back end of the first round, if I get there, uh, I do like all three shortstops that are going there. Francisco Lindor, Trey Turner, Trevor Story. I expect all three guys to have big years. They kind of provide Lindor and Story pretty similar projections. Turner obviously gives you more steals, but less of everything else. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's a bad way to start. You know, if you don't do anything crazy in the first round. Uh, when you get into the second round, if you're going pitcher there for me, uh, Walker Bueller is the guy that I'm kind of highest on in the in the you, second you round. Don't, you don't sweat that they just mess with those dudes' innings. Nah, Bueller's. Nah, if you look at like his innings per year over the last couple of years, I think he's ready. I think he's going to throw 200 plus innings. I think he's going to be the ace of the Dodgers for years to come. So I'm in on Bueller in the second round, uh, and then you get to the third. A uh, couple guys I like: Shane Bieber. If you do not have a starter yet, I know Sammy's going to uh, back me on that one. Um, and then other kind of power speed guys, Starling Marte, I like a ton, Ozzy Albies, Austin Meadows, uh, and then, of course, Sammy, our guy, Jordan Alvarez, uh, who we're expecting a, a monster season out from the out of from the Astros. There you go. Yeah, so it's done. Full, full, fully on board with this. So I, I'm, I'm also 
just fine with the top three picks. What I've done in a lot of my KDSs is actually gone number five and number six. So I can start with Cole or DeGrom and then come back and build power speed. Like when you're talking about the second round, um, Marte is generally going in the third. I'm great with him as a second rounder, like a late second rounder. And another guy that I'm pretty big on that I'm bigger on in like overall contests because you're kind of trying to shoot the moon is Adalberto Mondesi in the third. And I know Davis, you're on board with this, but that's a guy who could lock it in. Honestly, it's got to I mean, be like the ultimate Davis pick. <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he, is, he is like literally when we started talking about the NFBC, he was the second guy I mentioned after Joey Gallo and like, oh, we got to go get him. He was yeah, my I'm, highest owned player last year. So I'm, I, I get it. Dude, I mean, it, if, if there's a guy who's going to hit 20 homers and steal 55 bases, it's Adalberto Mondesi. Like he could easily be a first round player. He could easily be really bad also. But I think, yeah. again, when you're looking for overall contests – and you're looking for upside, that's why in the third round, like, I am big on Alberto Mondesi. I'm big on Jordan Alvarez because he's one of the few guys that can hit 50 bombs with a 300 average. Um, I know, DC, you have your personal projection out on Twitter, and I love it. Uh, Chris Sale's another one. Chris Sale, dude, he's always busted. But if Chris Sale is healthy, if he's a first-round player easily, right? Yeah, I'll say this. Like, I think people – yeah, you know, this kind of goes a little bit against what I said earlier, but like you can overcome a bust of a pick even in the second round. Last year, I finished third out of 15 in my main event league. I cashed. Uh, I picked Giancarlo Stanton in the second round. He was like the worst possible outcome because he just had like these continuing injuries. It wasn't like one injury where, oh, I can drop him in May. I literally carried this guy for 159 games. I got like four games out of him all year long. I picked Tri- Blake Trinan in the fourth or the fifth. He was a total bust. So, like, I, I do think it's good to be a little bit risk-averse in the first two or three rounds. But, you know, even if Mondesi, like, the big worry with him is his shoulder, right? He's been he's, – he's had injuries. Uh, a managerial change is somewhat concerning for me. But even if the worst happens, it's not like you are unable to completely overcome it. Yeah, and, and we're talking about Stanton. Stanton's going in the fourth round now. I'm back I in. in the sixth round the other day. Bro, I mean, I'm just, I'm just back in, especially in these overall contests where you're like, how many first-rounders can I possibly draft? That's, that's exactly. kind of what I'm going. I'm throwing haymakers. So if, yep. I can take, if I can take like Cole, Marte, Mondesi, and Stanton, or if I'm drafting at the end of the, of the, of the first and I can get like, I don't know, Bueller – J Ram, Jordan Alvarez in the first three rounds. Like I'm fantastic like, with that. Like, but. Here's the thing. If if Mondesi ends up returning first round value and Stanton, you picked him in the fifth or the sixth and he got hurt on day one and never played a game, you would still profit from those two picks. So again, you really are trying to hit home runs throughout the draft, especially in a, a, a league like the main event or the online championship where it's pretty top-heavy, where the where there's a big first overall prize and you really are kind of aiming for that. Yeah, G, GPP status, baby. Yep. All right. So those are those are some of the those are some of the you know the earlier the earlier guys. So let's say we 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 have a, a you know a beginning to a draft that we like. We we have one pitcher. We have one good power speed guy that we got in the first 15 picks, you know, whether that be Trevor Story, whether that be, you know, just whoever. It, it does not matter for our purposes. So let's just assume we're not trying to concrete over holes with the middle of our roster. So, you know, picks 50 to 150 right now. 
who are some of the guys that you are really trying to accumulate a lot of uh, hashtag shares of and, you know, what's their ADP and why are you in on them, Sammy? Uh, okay, so one guy I'll throw out there is David Dahl. Um, David Dahl's a dude. Love who, it. I just want to draft all the Rockies. I mean, yeah, just, just draft Rockies and draft cheap Rockies. He's going at pick 146 right now. If you look at the projection systems, they all have them they projected hate him. for – well, they, they don't hate him, but they don't give him a lot of playing time. They all give him like 130 games. But even in those 130 games, he's generally projected for like 24 homers, 10 steals, and a pretty decent batting average. I think that's a guy who if he just hits his medium projection in the 10th round, you're, you're happy with. But if he ends up playing 150 games, I mean, that is like a big-time profit. Again, he gives you a pretty decent steals for it. Like he should have double-digit steals – to go with like 25 plus homers. So he, he's a dude like right around the 10th round that, that I have my sight set on. And another guy who, again, like I'm trying to take big swings. Uh, I don't love the value, but I just think he's a really good player is Gavin Lux. Uh, it, when you're with the oh, Dodgers. He loves Gavin Lux. Yeah, dude. Gotcha. dude. When, 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 you're, when you're looking at the Dodgers, it's like, yeah, they're going to mix and match and they're going to platoon, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Gavin Lux smashed the minors last year, like completely took it over. And he is one of those guys that could easily just take a job and run with it. And people are like, oh, we don't like him because he's going to platoon and hit seventh. I think his talent is such that he could easily be their number three hitter by midseason. So I'm big on Lux and I'm just looking for opportunities to acquire him at like reasonable costs. All right. What about you? What about you, Peter? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll second the Lux thing. Like, if you just look at his production as a, what was he, 21 last year, I think? Yeah. Um, at, at those levels, it's, like, historically great. Now he's going to go into the best lineups in the league. Like, I don't see them platooning. You know, he's obviously a lefty. He has struggled a little bit with lefties, but are you really going to platoon, you know, a top three prospect in baseball? We'll see. So, yeah, I'm in on Lux. I've talked about you, Darvish, of course. He's a guy that I'm getting as many shares as I can. Uh, I do think I was tweeting about it earlier. We can talk a little bit about Luis Robert, uh, another guy who I think potentially could just absolutely could easily be a first round player, right? Like we saw the, the comp for him clearly for me is Ronald Acuna, and we saw him just burst onto the scene out of nowhere. Like he had you know kind of questionable plate discipline, walk to strikeout ratio, which actually has kind of continued for Acuna in the big leagues, but the talent is crazy, right? Like a, a 70 grade runner, 70 grade raw power. And last year, you know, at what would you play? A, double A, triple A, a combined line of a 328 hitter with 32 home runs, 36 steals, basically 200 runs plus RBIs. He signed a big contract with the White Sox to be their opening day center fielder. That is not in question. Um, just a massive, massive talent that has produced on the field, right? People are like, oh, this guy's not polished, but the tools are there. Well, <laughs> his production certainly looks pretty polished to me through one year. So um, he's going ADP right now through, the, uh, you know, the last like 15 or so draft online championships that have gone off. He's going like pick 70, which like we said, like there's some risk there, but man, the upside is enormous for him. So Lewis Robert, a guy that I'm certainly trying to get some shares of. All right. Uh, so those are, those are some mid round guys, but I mean, I think, I think things that obviously they're just going to swing your season are going to be getting 
third round value out of someone you you scooped up with your last pick right like that that's how that's how you bank and this is true of every fantasy sport you know just a, a it's unilaterally true so who are who are some uh, some late round you know potential explosion targets peter yeah first one i'll talk about is jd davis i've talked about him on some other podcasts recently uh his playing time for the mets uh kind of like uh, tentatively scheduled in as like the Mets starting left fielder can play from third, third base as well, but they have Cespedes coming back from injury. They're talking about Dominic Smith possibly platooning with him. So the playing time is in question, uh, but this guy going around pick 180 right now, uh, I when I look at what he did in the second half of last year, he's a 25-year-old, I believe, uh, he looks almost exactly in every way like J.D. Martinez who also did not break out until he was 26, 27, 28 years old, the power to the opposite field, uh, the X of velocity, just everything about him um, screams just a monster value. And if, if J.D. Davis hits, like I think he will hit for the Mets, you don't take a guy like that out of your lineup, right? It doesn't matter if you can't catch a fly ball every 10 games, right? You just keep that guy in your lineup. He's going to hit third all year. If he hits, like I think he will. So, J.D. Davis, a guy I could easily see returning second or third round value this year if he, if he does what I think he'll do. Sammy, are you are you on board with J.D. Davis? I am, baby. Statcast believer. Big time. Big time Statcast. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a real thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll give you a couple of uh, kind of late gamers that I'm really into, a couple of old hitters. Number one's Daniel Murphy. Uh, I think we were all – Maybe not all of us, but I was huge on Murphy last year. I said, this guy's a huge batting average guy going to Coors. And he was hurt all season, and he really wasn't very good. But now he's going like 15th to 20th round. And I think getting a guy who could potentially hit like 290 to 300, he's not going to have a ton of power. And, yeah, he's going to miss games, et cetera. But a batting average is a really scarce resource. And I think uh, Daniel Murphy, all of a sudden there's a ton of value in him. Uh, Pete mentioned Jonas Cespedes. People are not drafting him at all because we don't really have any news on him. But, dude, he's a guy, he's basically free. And if he ends up playing, he's going to hit 25-plus homers. He's a really good player. So I think he's a huge value. And then I really like the value on some of the Astros pitchers, specifically Jose Urquidy and Josh mm -hmm. James. Like, these guys, I mean – Isn't Carlos they, Correa going really late? Uh, like seventh round. Isn't that – isn't he, isn't he, like, really good? Uh, it depends here, if he's let, not getting, if he's let, not getting, here the, we go, the, the here we go, D, DC, DC, this is your, this is your part to, uh, just like take your Twitter rants and, and, and turn them all into a, into a podcast form right now. The Astros. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You want the guy with the broken wrist on April 5th? Not me. Not me. Not me. Not now. Not never. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I actually it would it would really not surprise me if Astros backlash ends up being like horrible and a bunch of these dudes end up being some of the best values. Like it, well, like if if you're getting like full round discounts on some of these guys, it's gonna be absurd. Alex Bregman is gonna Alex Bregman is gonna be a second rounder, bro. Like um, that's that's I mean that's bad probably, especially in like an auction where you can actually get any player that you want. If, if you find yourself in a room in an auction where everyone just is all down on the Astros and thinks they're going to be, they're, they're going to be beaten to death or whatever, just drafting every Astro and hoping that there's no fallback at all from these guys, I think is a fun strategy. But in general, 
I am downgrading the Astros a fair bit. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't say that it's bad because baseball is actually a sport where all these players are such hardos that like they actually might get thrown at and like slid into and stuff for like a full season. Like, Pete, how much? Pete, how much money did you put down on the Astros hit by pitch prop? <laughs> how many units? Ten thousand units. Ten thousand unit play. Um, all right. Do we do we have any other? Do we have any other late round guys that uh, that we that we need to tout? Where does Tommy Lastella go? Is he? Does he have a starting job? Say, I would like for Tommy Lastella to be on our team. Sammy, can we do I, that? I'm I'm fully in on it. Lastella was he's heavily discounted because he made some big changes, like fly ball changes last year. But then he got hurt, and so people kind of forgot about him. Um, I'll throw out, dude. Let me throw out Will Myers. If you like power and speed, oh, I do. I like Will Myers. Dude, you like dude, power we're and gonna speed? we're gonna win the main event, obviously. Easy. easy. Will Myers <laughs> is gonna go twenty twenty in like the the twentieth round. I think that's excellent. Uh, a guy to keep an eye on is a dude named Sam Hilliard on the Rockies. If he ends up getting playing time, he's got a ton of power speed. People are kind of on him, so he's not going that early, but but I'm a big fan of that guy as well. Is there is there anything stopping us from just drafting every appropriately priced Rockies hitter? No, absolutely not. We can we can do a full Rockies stack in the middle. Where does where does Rymel Tapia go? Does he have oh, an ADP? He's so cheap. He's very he's so cheap. bad. <laughs> he's so bad. <laughs> but he's built for course, Davis. I'm well, no, no. You know, does Billy Hamilton have a job? Is Billy Hamilton on a team? He's on the Giants. Uh, I mean, not great. He's that he. Oh, you know what? <laughs> yeah, because no, he he was built for uh for AT and T Park. It's That's like true. He's gonna hit a home run anyway. It doesn't matter where he's playing. <laughs> yeah, he's got some inside the park potential in right center field. Does, yeah. in, in, you'll in you'll know you'll know that the juice ball has gone too far when Billy Hamilton has eleven home runs at the All Star break. That'll just that'll just be the point when we all decide that it's been too much. We don't need any advanced data. We just need to track Billy Hamilton's uh, his, his current home runs. We'll know. Correct. So, um, do we have? I mean, do we have any other? Do we have any other fantasy baseball takes that that need to get out right now? Uh, have we have we covered it? Are people ready to win their leagues? Lucas Giolito wins the AL Cy Young. That's my take. Uh, Jordan Alvarez wins the AL MVP. That's DC's take. This, these are the things you need to know. I bet I can get good money on that. What do, what do you think? What do you think Jordan to win AL MVP should be so that's, priced? That's not the bet. They're not going to give a DH MVP. I don't think it's actually ever happened. Um, it's just, it's just most home runs. Yeah, home runs or like triple crown. I think he could win. Well, I've actually I've actually already made the sharpest possible um, home run bets. So it would be impossible for me to sharpen it up anymore. JD, JD, Mar- JD Martinez, 50 to one. That's a good one. I like it. I mean, it's like 35 now. Move, I moved the market. Not, well, as, much I mean, as, I <laughs> not as much as you did. If they end up winning the division. They went from like 66 to one to like 30 to one in like an hour. They took you Darvish off the board after I tweeted about him. It was uh, in, a, in, a, in a life lacking uh, proud moments. That was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> mover of markets draft cheat exactly who's gonna who's gonna win who's gonna win the world series now that uh the astros suck the yankees yeah the, the dodgers the dodgers will choke again yet again yeah. um the the they'll be in the world series it'll be like yankees and dodgers and the yankees right-handers are just gonna bomb all over kershaw my my life my it. life 
is really going to be complete if Kershaw goes in the Yankee Stadium and throws nine nine clean innings. Like I will just I will be able to just be at peace with everything that I've been through if Clayton Kershaw can go in in a World Series game and shut down that Yankees lineup. I just nah. I really need it. Gary, like, Gary Sanchez is going to get him. Like it's like everyone that like I don't know. Everyone who's bad, everyone who's bad at predicting sports outcomes thinks that Clayton Kershaw is a choker because he's had like four bad playoff starts. <laughs> I don't it's know. Just, I, it's torn on that one. Small sample size, dude. Yeah, that's all it is. Get, get, get this guy, get this guy 30 playoff starts or whatever. Yeah, but Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer, so. No, I mean, there's no worse take. There's no <laughs> worse take than Eli Man. You know, I can't wait to have Cardi I, I'm on just this saying show. He's, I'm just saying he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying he's worthy of it. That I'm Well, that is true. Yeah. All right, guys. So, I mean, we won. We, we, are, we are obviously, we're going to be there the final weekend. We're going to be sweating out the, uh, the main event with one another. And, uh, you know, good show. You guys, you guys were entertaining enough to keep me engaged and thinking about fantasy baseball for an hour. So I hope that I hope that the listeners also stayed entertained and engaged for an hour. I'd be I'd be shocked if people made it this far, but I'm proud of them if they did. Good stuff, yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys, we will uh, we'll be back next week. Unsure of the guest, but it it will not be to talk about fantasy baseball. <laughs> and uh, so see you guys then. Hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.